grabbing the things of God. Grabbing the things of God. I was raised thinking I had to grab what I wanted or it was going to pass me by. Probably started with my two older brothers sitting around the table. Mom and dad would have their back turned. And you saw the biggest piece on the plate. And you figured if you didn't grab it, somebody else was going to grab it. And since I was the smaller one, I learned to grab the quickest. (laughs) And being the youngest, I knew if Roger or Don complained, Dad would come to my rescue. I grew up grabbing what I wanted to get. When I became a committed Christian, and the Lord God of heaven began to discipline me sorely, and I began to lay in my prayer closet for six, eight, ten hours a day, I thought what I had to do was grab from God's table what he had. I thought if you didn't pursue God and grab what you wanted, you weren't going to get it. And I called that faith. Name it and claim it. This is what I want. This is what the Word says. Let's go get it. The Lord's been sorely dealing with me on this issue. It all began as I was reading the Scriptures through once more. I'm in Second Chronicles, the 26th chapter. I was reading the story about Uzziah. Uzziah, I've always, I've always felt sorry for Uzziah. The reason I felt sorry for Uzziah, he died before God came to the temple. Isaiah comes into the temple, and the glory of God is in the temple. His train is filling the temple. The place is filled with fire and smoke. And Isaiah is backed up against the back wall, plastered there, terrified by what he sees and what he hears. And he hears God saying, who will go for me? And he just couldn't help it. His hand came up. I think with his other hand, he was probably trying to pull it down. He said, here, Maya, I'll go for you. Well, Uzziah just died. And Uzziah wanted the things of God. He was 16 years old when he became king. When all authority was given into his hands. When he was in charge of the nation. Oh, sure, he had counselors who taught him. He was under the teaching in the 26th chapter. And the, and the word tells us in verse 4, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, I want that written on my tombstone. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, we're not talking here about 
spiritual success. We're talking here about financial, military might. We're talking about a nation that is arising in awesome power because the king is seeking the Lord. His fame spreads everywhere. God helps him against the Philistines. He, he helps them in battle. He wins. He, be, he becomes very powerful, and then he becomes very inventive. He has an army of 307,000 men. He provides shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, sling stones for the... Hey, this is the latest technology. They've got the M16s. They've got whatever they need. And then he invents machines that are up on the towers at the corner that shoot arrows. Machines that shoot arrows like a machine gun. And also machines that throw huge stones. So an army is coming against you and this great stone is thrown out and begins to crush and roll over your enemies. I mean, they talked about this man. You don't go mess with Jerusalem. Not with Uzziah. His fame spread far and wide. And he was very powerful. But look at verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful... His pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What? Is it possible to turn against the Lord by seeking the Lord? If you have not yet experienced this, you will if you seek after the Lord for any length of time. When you begin to press into God and you begin to desire the Lord and you begin to go after God, you'll reach a point suddenly where God withdraws from you. And you'll say, why is God withdrawing from me? I'm seeking the Lord. Oh, I've had a hard time with this. How is it possible to seek the Lord and in the seeking of the Lord have the Lord be upset enough with me to cut me off? Do you know when the Lord's upset with you? Do you walk close enough with God to know when he's upset with you? When the peace is gone? Now, normally, we associate that with going out and getting drunk or going out and doing something else that we shouldn't be doing. Look, this, this is about the deep things of the Lord. I pray you have ears to hear tonight. The only way I know to talk about it is to talk about it in terms of my wife and myself. Did you know it's possible for me to want my wife so badly that I can make her angry with me? 
because when I want her so badly to do something or be something for me, I usually get in a control mode. And if there is anything that is guaranteed to light my wife's anger fuse, it's control. I know none of you wives are like that. No, you don't mind being controlled. When your husband says something, you say, yes, sir. Right? I'm right. No, this, this control issue where my heart is going for my wife and I, I want to do this. I want to be this. I want to go somewhere. I want to do something together. And I want her to be ready by a certain time. Because we've got to leave the house at a certain time to get to the restaurant to be there when the reservation is. Get to church. And ten minutes before, my wife doesn't have her makeup on yet. And so I very quietly just say this. Jan, it's ten minutes till we have to leave. Oh, just write it off. Just write it off. So instead of that, I've learned not to say that. I've learned to say to her, I'll be in the car. <laughs> and she says to me, why are you separating? Why do you want to be separate from me? I don't want to be separate from her. I wanted to hurry her up. But I wanted to do it nicely. Politely. Oh, and then if I sit in the car and I'm waiting, and I look at my, and it's, it's, it's now five minutes after it was time to leave, and my hand just accidentally hits the horn. <laughs> now I have set the tone for the rest of the time with my wife. My wife is one who does not get angry easily. But when she does get angry, it's generally a slow burn for some period of time. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I get mad, bang, it's done. Okay, let's forget about it. What do you mean, Ray, let's forget about it? Let's talk about it. So I don't want to talk about it anymore. I mean... Do you understand what I'm talking about tonight? Oh, yeah. Okay, now let's look at that in our relationship with God. We know what we want with God. And everything that we want from Him is good. But oh, the way we go about trying to get it from Him. That's where the pride comes in. I can't tell you how many times I've laid on my face before God and read to him the promise of Isaiah 66. A church will be born in a day, and I've said, Lord, it's not happened. I've honked my horn at him, because it's ten minutes after it was due. 
And that set the tone for the relationship. And then when God wasn't pleased with me, then I said, God, why are you treating me this way? Why'd you disappear on me? I've just wanted time with you. But old pride rose up. And pride says, I want you, Lord God of heaven. I want you, Jesus, in my life. But I want you my way. And God will not be controlled. I'm the servant and he's the master. So Uzziah, he's standing in the temple of the Lord and instead of seeing the glory of God like Isaiah did in the same temple, instead of seeing the glory of God, the priests are now confronting him with their with their harsh words, saying, you have sinned, Uzziah. Chapter 26, Second Chronicles, verse 18, they confronted him and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. And I want you to notice, they did not say King Uzziah. Uzziah. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will not be honored by the Lord God. What would have happened had they done what I have so often done? And said, you know, it's really important that we keep friendly relationship between the priest and whoever. You know, just let Uzziah come in. God will look over it. God would have left them too. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense. You understand what burning incense is? That's prayer. That's prayer. That's intercession prayer. While he was raising, while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and excluded from the temple of the Lord. And his son took over the rulership of the kingdom. I began to pray over this story. It's not a story I like. The Lord began to deal with my heart. He began to say to me, I've made promises to you. And you expect these promises to be fulfilled. In fact, 
you tell me I owe you these promises. And I began to weep. And I began to go one by one through the promises that the Lord has given me and say, Lord God of heaven, I release you from this promise. I went to Isaiah 66, and I said, Lord, I release you from the promise of Isaiah 66 to me and to the National Prayer Chapel. I release you from the promise that you would bring revival. My whole life has been based on the promises of God. The scriptures tell us that it's by the promises of God that we enter in and participate in the divine nature with God. My life has been tied up in a bundle with God by his promises. But I began to see how I have misused the promises of God. I misused the promises of God by using them as an expectation that God would do what I wanted him to do, that he had promised he would do, and then being short with him over those promises, accusing him of not fulfilling the promise, of losing faith because I didn't see the promise fulfilled. So I released the Lord from all of his promises to me. And I began to cry in his presence and say, Lord God, do not fulfill one of these promises for Ray Greenlight. If these promises are connected to building your kingdom, then bring them to pass. Not because of my expectation, not because of my desire, but because of your desire, because it's what you want to do. And give me the courage to wait on you with a sweet spirit, with no accusation. No judgment. Nowhere in the scripture is the Lord God of heaven given the name accuser. Did you know that? The accuser is always the name that is given to Satan. It's not an attribute of God. And so when I come at God with the expectation that he has to do something and I begin to become the accuser, I am playing a role of Satan. And then he has only an option of withdrawing from me or destroying me. The Lord God of heaven is gracious and merciful and kind 
but he will not draw near to a heart that is centered in itself. Now the scripture is clear. Over here in the book of Luke, the 11th chapter, the disciples have asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. He begins to give them what we know as the Lord's Prayer, which has more and more in my life become my model prayer. I pray the Lord's Prayer each day, using that as the framework of my prayer life. But then he said to them in verse 5, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not he will not get up and give him bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You can't stop there and understand that passage of Scripture without continuing. So let's continue. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, did you catch that? Give the Holy Spirit, not pay the Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit, not pay the Holy Spirit. God doesn't owe me his Holy Spirit. It's a gift. God doesn't owe revival to this congregation. It's a gift. It's something we come and ask for. It's something we seek after. But it never can become something that is owed. It's never something we can become angry in our hearts about and rail against God because he hasn't done what we ask him to do. How many times I've talked with dear brothers and sisters who are in a very difficult situation. And God hasn't shown up for them, and they're angry with God. Immediately, you know they're walking in pride. Anger at God is always pride. Anger at God is always pride. Anger at God is always pride. We didn't get our way. And when we don't get our way, we get mad. Anger is always a sign of pride. And when we get angry with God, because he's a merciful God, 
it just pulls back. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have felt the, the absence of God, the silence of God. That's been one of the worst parts of this whole journey that I've been on over these last years, the absence of God. I haven't understood it. The first step in my understanding was to understand from my heart that when God withdrew, it's because he wanted something different with me than I wanted. <coughs> Say that again. When God withdraws from me, I've learned it's because God wants something different with me than I want. That as soon as my will is aligned with his will regarding that situation, his presence floods into that situation. So if I'm not hearing God speak, it's because my pride and my anger are blocking the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's because I want something from God that he doesn't want for me. And when I come into that place where I'm not hearing from God and I'm not getting direction from God, that's a red flag to me now that says, Stop! Don't go any further. Back up. Release your claims on God and ask Him what He wants. Now, when you ask God what He wants, you'll hear God speaking again. You'll hear God speak again. But if you're going to stay in that hardened place where God has to do it the way you want to see it done, you can knock your head against the wall for days. I have bloodied my head for years against the closed door of God. I'm sorry, I'm a slow learner. It takes me time to learn these things. I've not ever heard anybody talk about these kinds of things before. This only comes out of time, walking with the Lord, learning to know his ways, learning to know, if you please, his temperament. And as you begin to understand, he's the almighty God but he cares about the smallest detail. He can hold the waters in the palm of his hand, but he counts the hairs on your head. This is a God who is beyond anything we can imagine. His heart is filled with compassion for the sons of men and the daughters of men. But he will not come 
to a person who is walking in pride and hardness of heart, demanding what they want. Now, I tell you honestly, I had to say, what's the consequence of releasing God from his promises to me? I mean, if he's made the promise to me, I've stood as though that were money in the bank. I've learned, I say it again, I have learned that God's promises are like money in the bank. They're absolutely sure. What happens if I release God from his promises? It's like canceling the account in the bank. I don't have any money in the bank anymore. I don't want any money in the bank. I just want Jesus' heart. That's all I want. I want the heart of Jesus. And he doesn't have to promise me anything to get me. He doesn't have to give me anything to get me. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. He is the lover of my soul without his doing anything else. He did enough at the cross. That was enough. For all time, that was enough. It's finished. I don't need any more than the cross. That's when the atonement was made. That's when he cleared away every obstacle to my coming into relationship with the Father. Now, the only obstacle that can come between us is an obstacle that I will bring. And I don't want to bring any more obstacles into my relationship with the Lord God of heaven. I don't want to bring any more rebellion. I don't want to bring any more hardness. I don't want to bring any more promises that I claim that are more important than he is. You see, I had to answer the question. Is it more important for me that revival come? Or is Jesus more important? When my life is over, if revival didn't come, am I going to feel cheated by God? Because I wanted revival more than him. I have to tell you tonight, I want Jesus. And Jesus alone. That's, that's it. That's it. My wife doesn't have to be a certain way. You all don't have to be a certain way. This church doesn't have to be a certain way. We don't have to have certain music. And No, I just want Jesus. That's it. That's the deal. I want to stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ at his cross and say, that's enough for me. And if he chooses to give to me the gift of the Holy Spirit, I will know it came out of the love of his heart and not because he made a promise and had to keep it. Have you ever made a promise to someone 
And then they began to act in ways after you made the promise that made you wish you'd never given them the promise. Oh, I've promised my kids things. We're going we're gonna to go this weekend such and such a place. We're going to have a wonderful time as a family. Oh, Daddy, thank you. And then they pulled out every stop possible to be nasty and disobedient. And in my heart, I began to feel like, no, I don't want to do that with them. I can't stand to take them there and have them act like they've been acting. And so I go to them and I say, look, you kids have not been acting the way you needed to act. Daddy doesn't want to take you. Oh, but Daddy, you promised. You promised. Are you going to break your promise to us, Daddy? Are you going to lie to us? All right, come on, let's go. Do you know how much fun that is for me? And they know Dad's upset the whole time. Oh, but they're having a wonderful time. But you know what happens when we get home afterward? It's time for punishment. That's the last straw for Dad. I kept my promise. Now let's deal with your behavior. Oh, I tell you what, I don't want God to deal with me that way. I don't want God to bring revival because he promised it and then deal with my sin. I don't want that. I don't want God to be bound by his promise to me. I want him to give the Holy Spirit because out of the flowing love of his heart, he sees that now is the best time to give his Holy Spirit for the sake of his kingdom, not because Ray Greenlee asked for it. I don't want to live in a relationship with the almighty God of heaven where he owes me. I'm in debt to Jesus. I can never pay that debt back. That debt is beyond anything that can be imagined. I owe him everything in my life. For me to then cop an attitude with God and say, you made me a promise, God, and you didn't keep it. What? Sin against God. Oh, not sin like getting drunk or, or fighting with somebody or speaking nasty to somebody. This is a sin against the Holy Spirit. This is a sin from the heart against God that causes him to say it's not safe to be in relationship with Ray Greenlee. Oh, I don't want that to be spoken by the Lord. And I guarantee you, I don't want to die. And you all have my funeral. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. Like Uzziah had. 
I guess what I'm saying tonight is that it's possible to seek after God from pride. God does not want us to seek after him in pride. If you look with me at Acts, Acts the second chapter, Peter's responding to their concern. They've been cut to the heart and they're saying, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replies in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Tonight, if you know that you have approached God in pride, demanding, insisting, accusing, he would say to you tonight, repent. That's the way back into fellowship. Repent. That's the way into fellowship with my wife. It's the way into fellowship with each other. Repent. In the name of Jesus Christ, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What's he saying? Be buried. Die. Give up this pride of your heart. Now, there could possibly be one person in this house who would say, why is Pastor Ray just talking to me tonight? No, I want to assure you, I didn't plan this sermon for you. I don't know of anybody in this house who doesn't have pride in their heart. That's part of the human condition. And this pride has to be exposed for what it is when it blocks the intimacy of God in our heart. When he says baptized, he's talking about crawling back into the grave. That's where we belong. With the old man of flesh. Any of you in this house tonight have anger against anybody else in this house? Or at work? Or in your family? Or people not doing what you think they ought to do? The fact is they may not be doing what they ought to do at all. But the problem is not with them tonight. The problem is with our heart. Because if the Holy Spirit is going to move in this situation, we've got to have our heart right before God. Because God wants to come and dwell in our hearts and flow through us for our families. And he can't flow through us to our families if there's bitterness and anger in our heart because God hasn't answered our prayer and done what we thought he ought to do for us. It means we've got to back up and repent. Let that old man of flesh die once more. Then it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, repent, die to your agenda once more, your agenda for your job, for your boss, for your employees, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids. Died all your agendas. Get back in that grave. 
Then he says he'll send you the Holy Spirit. Now, do you know the difference between waiting for a new girlfriend to show up who's a few minutes late and waiting for your wife of 20 years to show up when she's late? Do you sense any of the difference in there? Why? What happened? Why would you accuse God? Why would you demand from God what you want? Why would you accuse God of not being faithful to you? Why would you have an attitude? Why would you position yourself as a victim? Look how bad God's treated me. In the New Testament church, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It does not say they devoted themselves to demand from God what they wanted. It does not say they devoted themselves to demanding from each other what they wanted. They devoted themselves to koinonia, to the preaching, listening to the preaching of the word, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is it possible that the Lord is not adding daily to this fellowship those who should be saved? Because we're in a demand mode against God to have it our way? Oh, Lord, I humble my heart before you, almighty God. And I confess before you tonight that your way is not my way, and my way is not your way. But I ask tonight that you would have your way. And, Lord, I do release you from every promise you have made to me especially those regarding this congregation. And I simply want the love you choose to pour out, and I'm willing to wait upon you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, minister to our hearts tonight. Lord, bring us into the place where we can simply trust you where we no longer have to rail against you or demand, or rail against each other or demand. The Lord, where we can simply trust you, where you're enough for us. I pray in your holy name.